Well, it's been a pleasure uh, pleasure to be here with you this week. I mean that, and uh, I really felt like I have been stretched and grown and cornered by the Lord. He does that to us, doesn't He? Kind of corners us, and kind of forces us to deal with some things perhaps at times we don't want to deal with. And uh hasn't necessarily been that way, I guess, for me exactly in terms of I haven't been avoiding Him. But... Uh, I want to share with you tonight about uh, some truth he's been just really confronting me with out of Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 and uh, really been bothering me to be quite honest with you. Just, man, he's really cornering me on some things in my own life and uh, forcing me to deal with some, uh, some truth that's not altogether comfortable. Uh, really been looking at uh, these first three verses uh, of the prologue of the book of Revelation and their key. Uh, as we understand the book of Revelation to be uh, a prophecy. And that's told to us in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Uh, This is a prophecy. Uh, John describes the prophecy as a revelation. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a descriptive term. Uh, That's where we get the name of the book, Revelation. Uh, And and so we call it Revelation, but it is a prophecy that is described by him as a revelation of Jesus Christ. And as we begin to find, and you will as you begin to find and seek through here in the first, just even in the first few chapters, what you're confronted with in the prophecy is the unveiling of who he is. Every time, every time you see Jesus mentioned in this book, and that's profound, because you have his name mentioned several times throughout the New Testament, a prophesied in imagery in the Old Testament. But every time he's mentioned in this book, it's an unveiling of his very person. I was really found it interesting in the first chapter, verses 12 down through verse 16. It's John turns around in his circumstance and he sees this unveiled Jesus before his eyes. He unveils himself. Uh, to him. In chapters 2 and 3, you have the seven churches of Asia Minor. Each one is going through a different uh, struggle, a different issue. They have a different problem. There's different circumstances. And yet Jesus, <laughs> think about this, Jesus is the answer to each and every one of those circumstances. Um, no matter what kind of theological debate I get into, no matter what kind of arguments, uh, it has to come back to him. I mean, really. I'm not interested in talking about anything apart from Him. See, I don't like salvation. I don't uh, talked about in term uh, in other terms besides Him. See, He is my salvation. There's no salvation apart from Him. It's believing. It's believing in Him. It's a it's a walk with Him. It's an intimacy with Him. So when you come into the book of Revelation, as John begins to walk through this thing, see everything that's taking place within the confines of this book is about Him. So the prophecy is about him. It's a prophecy. It's about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Now he attaches to this a couple statements that give content to the unveiling of Jesus Christ. In other words, he says when you come into this prophecy, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, that's what you're seeing. He's unveiled before your very eyes. He gives content to that saying this is what's going to be unveiled. First thing that's unveiled. Okay, the prophecy. It's that which God gave him. So everything you see going on in the life of Jesus, everything you see, powerful. This is powerful. Everything you see in terms of the content of who he is belongs to the Father. Throughout the book of Revelation, you have the unfolding of this this plan that has been in in the works, that has been uh, taking place, that was thought of, that was given birth of before the foundation of the world. It's not Jesus' plan. It's the Father's plan that's taking place through Jesus. Chapter 5, he walks up, takes the scroll out of the Father's hand. It's in the Father's hand. It's the Father's plan. 
And of course, Jesus is the one who plucks the seals of that scroll. And plucking the seals of that scroll unleashes the Father's plan through Jesus' hand. But it wasn't Jesus' plan, it was the Father's plan. And it was the same exact thing going, in, uh, going, uh, going on during his ministry in earth. The leadership of Israel um, would come up to him during his earthly ministry and, and were frustrated and, and asking questions like, you're always talking about your father, just producing. And Jesus says, you don't know me or my father. Because if you knew him, you wouldn't be able to miss me. Because I am the very event by which the father is displayed. See, we know the father through Jesus Christ. That's how we know Him. So as you come into the book of Revelation, what you're finding consistently over and over again, Jesus is still, even in the eternities, the avenue by which the Father is moving and by which the Father is working. When God looks at us, He sees the blood of Jesus. It's because of what God has done in Christ that He's able to even reconcile us to Himself. Okay, it's about Him. So what's going on inside of Jesus, again, He gives a statement, is that which God gave Him. Now, He adds to that another statement which says to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, when I first read that, it sounds like what's going on here is that, hey, Jesus is, there's this unveiling that's taking place, which is from the Father, that Jesus is showing us that's going to take place out in the future, and he's, he's making us aware of that. But when you really get into the original language, and again, this is just kind of hard, I guess, to just prove this to you, but uh, when you get in the original language, that's, that's not so. It's not a future thing. It's not something that's taking place out there. Jesus, in fact, that word, the, the problem with that word, uh, shortly, uh, is that it conveys a different idea than the text conveys. The purpose of to show his servants what must soon take place should actually be said to show his servants what must take place quickly. Okay. Show us what will shortly take place. That word shortly should actually say quickly. So the emphasis is, is the purpose. This is powerful. The purpose of the book of Revelation. The purpose in the unveiling of what's going on in Jesus. The unveiling of himself. Seeing the working of the Father. Is to show his servants what must take place in them quickly. Okay, you're going to, I'm going to explain this a little more. You have seven churches. Each have an issue. Each have a problem. Each have a frustration. Each have something that's just leaving them, leaving them flat on their face. Jesus comes and he unveils himself as the answer to what's going on uh, to that problem. It's interesting. Each church, again, has a different issue. Jesus reveals himself differently to each and every church. So to the first church in their issue, Jesus says, oh, I got the answer. And they say, what is it? It's me. And he reveals himself as the answer to that church. They're like, wow, thanks, that's great. Goes to the next church. They say, well, that, I really, you helped them out. That's wonderful. We have a different issue. Jesus says, oh, I've got that answer too. What is it? He says, it's me. And he reveals himself as the answer to that church. They're like, wow, man, that's great. Isn't he great? That's wonderful. He goes to the next church. And they're like, yeah, but we've got a doozy of a problem. People are dropping like flies. Jesus says, wow, got the answer to that one. They're like, let me guess. He says, you got it. I'm the answer. Okay? I'm the answer to your issue. So Jesus is the answer to each and every one of those issues. Now what's interesting, he doesn't give them the answer. He himself is the answer. So the answer to those issues is that they would embrace the person. And what's revealed in them, oh, powerful, get this, uh, not them, but what's revealed in him, they are to embrace. And that must take place quickly. They've got to respond to that, man. Hey, embrace what's going on inside of you. Embrace him as the answer to what's going on in our lives. Isn't that powerful? Amen. See, there's no, and the quickly there is powerful because the idea is it's, it's, listen, there's no time to delay on this, man. Hey, God is speaking. You've got to respond. Right. Uh, 
And it, it, it's the urgency. See, I, I personally believe that when God has revelation, when God reveals truth, it, it, is, it, is, such a crucial, it is such a crucial event that the, the response has to be immediate. This, I mean, man, he doesn't play around. Right. And uh, I mean, probably there's illustration and this is going to uh, move beyond the confines of where we want to move this evening. But we've all been in places where, you know, God speaks to us and there's an urgency and we respond and we think, wow, boy, if I wouldn't have responded, my oh my. What, what the, I mean, literally, there are eternal consequences at stake. Jesus moves in the midst of these churches and it's interesting, the consequences to them embracing Jesus at the end of each of those churches, because they're all, you know, to, who, to he who has an ear, let him hear. He always says that at the end of each of those churches. Those are always eternal consequences. Do you realize that when Jesus comes and speaks to you in your life, if you don't respond, there's not just like, well, yeah, always next Sunday. <laughs> always next Sunday. Same boring sermon next Sunday. We'll hear it again. Do you realize that there's eternal consequences to that? That's right. That our decisions here ripple there? That's profound, folks. To he who has an ear, let him hear. And it's always, an, it's always a consequence that is in the eternities. Literally, God, the purpose of the, the whole revelation, the whole first uh, three verses give content to what the revelation is about. It's the unveiling of him and what's going on inside of, uh, of Jesus, which is the movement of the Father. And the purpose of the revelation is that that is to go on inside of us. That literally we are to embrace him so that he is the answer to all of our issues. Which paints a picture for me. Every issue in my life, every issue in my relationship, there's one answer, it's Him. I embrace Jesus in my marriage and I say, hey, I embrace you as the answer to what's going on between me and my wife. Come and be that answer. Come and allow everything that you are to flow in my life. Come, I, I want to be the very event. I want to be the very event by which you come in and handle the situation in my life. That's got to take place, man. I've got to respond immediately, immediately to that. Because there are eternal consequences that take place in our homes when we don't respond to Jesus right. and myself is displayed and he's not displayed. Right. So everything we've been finding in the book of Revelation is a picture of the ministry. Get this. It's the picture of the ministry of Jesus that's going to continue through you. Do you realize? We've said this. Who knows how we've received it. Do you realize that you're the only Jesus some people are ever going to see? You don't go down to the job and act like Jesus. You don't go down to the job and do what Jesus would do. You go down and become the event by where he's seen, man. And as Jesus lived on earth and was the vessel of the Father, you are here and are the vessel of the Holy Spirit. You are the vessel of Jesus. The Holy Spirit reminds us of everything that he said. The Holy Spirit only talks about one thing. It's Jesus. So you become that event. You become that event. Seven churches, that's that's picture. Okay, first thing about these first three verses. Number one, they're a picture of what this prophecy is. See, it's, it's the borders. It's the parameters. It's the boundaries by which we're to receive this thing. Okay, it's the prophecy. Number two, the, in, in those first three verses, there is content not only given to the prophecy, but the purpose of the prophecy. The purpose of the prophecy is what we see going on in Jesus is the answer to our life. He's the answer. What's going on in him is going on inside of me. Something else we didn't really get to look at. There is a perspective, okay, Kind of like the three P's thing. Prophecy, purpose, perspective. Didn't know if you picked up on that. There's an interesting... We've talked about it in terms of, I, I want to be kingdom-minded. Uh, there's two ways to walk into Barnes & Noble. Like Barnes & Noble. Two ways walk in there. Only two ways. Perspective of the world, kingdom perspective. There's two ways to look at the men's rack. Perspective of the world, 
Perspective of the kingdom. Period. There's two ways to see that, man. Hey, there's the wide and broad perspective of the world and seeing it through the eyes of Jesus. There's two ways to see the women on those magazines. You can see them as the object of man or you can see them as his possession used for his purposes. Whether they submit to that or not, that's what they've been created for. It's a kingdom-minded perspective. Not just in the area of men and women in terms of the men's lives. There is a kingdom perspective that I wish with all my heart we would embrace down at our jobs. You are a missionary. And to settle for anything less than the missionary status of your job is not falling in line with the kingdom perspective. I get, I'm telling you on this. I can pretty much say this. You're not at your job to make bucks. And if you are, it's to give to our ministry. But I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is that you're not at your job to make money. You are, I believe, man, I believe God created, I believe God created a carpenter and said, I desperately need a voice, man, down there on that place. I'll raise up this guy, thinking about it 2,000 years in advance. I'll raise up this guy right here and just plop him right there. And you're to be the voice, the very event by which, man, you people look over and see Jesus. Wham, still hammering, still hammering the hammer and nail. Actually, I thought he was a stone worker, scholars say now. But whatever it is, he see Jesus out there on the work site. He desperately needs a teacher who's going to stand in the middle of the classroom. Okay? And look with a kingdom perspective. We're not there because of money. See, I don't live for money. It's the root. See, that's the, it's a distraction. See, that's my ministry. See, the DS visits Ken, Pastor Ken, and says, so um, how's, how's the church going? You guys need, got any ministers? And Ken says, yeah, we got 75 ministers this year. You kidding? Yeah, all missionaries. You've got to be kidding me. No. Wow. Who are they? Well, that's Dan. And uh, he said, I know Dan. <laughs> he works at Ford, man. Oh, that's just my cover. <laughs> that's just my cover. I'm really a missionary now. Yeah, you met my boy. He's a missionary too. Well, I saw him today at McDonald's. Well, that's just my cover, man. Because I'm really an undercover emissary of God to be the event of Jesus wrapping hamburgers. That's not out of the ordinary, folks. That's run of the meal. And we, hey, I mean, we're all into amen, but that's the, re, that's the real deal. Are we embracing that? There's a perspective. You see this perspective heavily throughout the Gospel of John. I won't ask you to turn there because, again, these first three verses that we've been looking, this is the prologue. It's not a part of the prophecy. It's John's language. It's his, it's his way of talking. We're familiar with this because we're familiar with his Gospel. If you go back into his Gospel, it's interesting. Not everybody who's running around going, yay, yay, Jesus is in. Really. Not everybody's running around going, whoa, Jesus, you're great. See, Jesus looks at him. I, I find it interesting. There's a certain group that appears in John chapter 2, John chapter 4, and John chapter 6 that every time they get around Jesus, he doesn't want anything to do with them. They're the Galileans. In chapter 2 in the temple, they believe in his name. Statement of salvation. Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to them. Wouldn't give himself over to them. They pop up in chapter 4. He's on his way into Galilee. He says before he even gets there, a prophet has no honor in his own country. In other words, I'm telling you before we ever get there, they're not going to honor me. It's, it's, like a, it's like a pessimistic attitude. You don't say before you get to revival, yeah, they're gonna, it's going to stink. <laughs> they're not even going to come. <laughs> you don't talk like that. Jesus talked like that about this group. Chapter 6, they want to make him king. He runs up the side of the mountain, man. He doesn't want anything to do with that group. Why? They didn't have the perspective. They would not, they would not, would not, would not, would not get into his perspective. They had their ideas of being king. They had their ideas of Jesus being king. There's these preconceived notions about coming to church and I have my ideas of what I, what I, what about, <laughs> I have my ideas about what I want to have Jesus doing in my life. 
that's none of your business. It, I mean, really, it's none of your business about what Jesus does in your life. It, it, it is an absolute unhandled, I mean, uninhibited, hey, all, no holds barred, no rules, have at me for your purpose. That's the deal. That's the perspective. And that's interesting that a couple of these churches, that's John language, a couple of these churches are <laughs> going through that. And you, it's interesting when Jesus gets them into the perspective, okay? Let me give you an example of this. Look, uh, I found it interesting when you look at the church of Ephesus. If you look with the, yeah, look at the church of Ephesus. Church of Ephesus. Uh, scholars tell us this was the biggest church uh, among the seven churches. Probably the mother church of all the other sister churches. Okay. Uh, in other words, these other six churches popped out of Ephesus. And uh, it's interesting. He gives this opening statement and then he shows the real deal, the perspective that he has. He sees through everything that's going on. For instance, he says, pick it up, verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. I know that you tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And I found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship. For my name, and have not grown weary. You take that list. Take those list of qualifications. You go back to, this is the church of Ephesus. Where's the first place in our Bible that the church of Ephesus is talked about? Acts chapter 19. It's the revival where uh, Paul comes in. He has, some, he has some disciples of John the Baptist. And uh, they get to talking. And, oh, man, that's great. And he says, hey, did you ever receive the Holy Spirit? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? He lays his hands on them and revival breaks out. I mean, going through the town. I mean, there is just all kinds of phenomenal. It says in that passage in Acts chapter 19, 20, 21, 22, as you move through there, that God did such extraordinary miracles through Paul. What did Paul? God moved through the vessel of a man named Paul to such an extent that people took the handkerchiefs that had touched him and fell out of his pocket, give it here, ran it across town, put it on people, and they were healed. <laughs> okay, that's revival. Yeah, I know it's exciting, isn't it? So that's what's going on in those chapters. I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, you have, and there's a statement back in those chapters about uh, people uh, were, were turning from idol worship and they took, their, they took their idols and their little statues and they burned them and, and the amount came to like 750,000 drachma. Do you know how much a drachma is? I don't either, but that's a ton of drachma. <laughs> Whatever it is, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of drachma, man. I mean, it, it's years of wages. It's, it's phenomenal. I mean, that movement of God... Persecution breaks out. you got this, this guy named Demetrius who makes these little shrines. He's out of money now and he gathers his little group together and there's a riot. They sneak Paul out of town. He comes back and he gives them some final instruction. He says, listen, I'm telling you, after I'm gone, savage wolves are going to come among you. And he gives them a detailed list. Do this and do this and do, don't you forget it. Revival broke out in that church. They were hungry after him. List those rules. Okay? He leaves, goes on, writes back this letter to them, emphasizing the, uh, the, the letter of Ephesians, emphasizing these things. You, you take those, those lists and you measure them up. They're still doing them here 50 years later in Revelation chapter 2. Still doing them. And Jesus says, listen, I know your deeds. Yeah, you're doing everything Grandma did. Showing up to church every Sunday, 10%. Not, not, not nine and a half, you understand. 10%. Still standing on Sunday morning and singing, my right hand up just like Grandma would. You know, we still have the same pews. No one's getting rid of the piano with her plaque on it. I'm telling you, I mean, we're doing the same things. We're doing the same things. Same, we're doing the same things that we always have done. Jesus says, yeah, you're doing those things. Yet, verse 4, 
I hold this against you. Shoves it right in their face. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You're doing all the things your grandma did. There's one problem. Not about me. You're not about me. Then he says this. Dump all that stuff and go back to what they were doing. But they didn't have the gymnasium, Jesus. Yeah, I know. But they didn't have the $5. million multiplex. I know. Well, what was so great? They were after me. And I won a whole town, man. Perspective. You know, you know what I'm saying? Perspective. Uh, let me give you one more just, just for fun. Flip over a couple of churches to Sardis. Total different situation. Uh, it's really interesting. Actually, it's not a total different situation. Uh, he says, I know your deeds. <laughs> Listen to this. In chapter 3, verse... I don't know. What is it? 1. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. In other words, their worship services are phenomenal. Their praise band, they have not only drums, but and bongos. You understand? They're big time. Okay. I know you have a reputation of being alive, but you're deader than a doornail, man. You're the charismatic group. You are dead. Perspective. To the church of Smyrna that we're going to look in a little bit, he looks at them and says, listen, I know you think you're poor, but you're rich. <laughs> you're rich. Perspective. The whole concept of prophecy is John, before we even get into this thing, it's like he reaches out and goes, listen to me. When you get in this, don't you be distracted with times and dates. You're not going to find, you know, hey, in the book of Revelation, find out when gas prices go down. Okay, you're missing the boat. <laughs> okay, you're not going to find whether or not George Bush is the Antichrist. Okay, you're walking down the wrong street. John says, listen, it's about the unveiling of the person. And in him is the moving and the acting and the working of the Father. Guess what? Which the purpose of that, showing you, is that can go on in you and your life. And directed immediately to these seven churches. They need to respond immediately to that. Because there's a perspective that they have to get into. That's the sum deal of these opening section of the prophecy. Okay? <sighs> Spit that part out. I want that in my life. I do. Uh, I, I mean, I really want that in my life. I want the moving and the acting and the working and the display of Him in my life. Um, I wonder what it would take in order for that to happen like I want it to happen. I mean, we cry aloud out to God, have your way and minister in our church. What, what needs to take place in order for that to happen? Is it going to be this program here? Is it how many revival services do I have to attend? Do I live in victory? I mean, how many trips down to the altar? How much Bible memorization? See, what's it take in order for that to take place in my life? See, what has to transpire? Um, it's interesting when you begin to review, especially toward the end of this prologue, and we have it up here on the screen, in verse 3, the cost of that kind of ministry. If you want to be used by God in your home, it's going to cost you. And it's a phenomenal cost, and it's powerful, and there's no way around it. It's interesting. This is what Paul says. No, no, I'm sorry. This is what John says. John says, after giving, after giving this incredible picture of what the revelation is about, he said, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Now, I'm kind of familiar with that term blessed, because uh, the English term appears throughout uh, the book of Revelation. A couple different words we have in the Greek for blessed. Um, both of them appear here. One of the words you're going to find in the book of Revelation uh, is the Greek term eulogos or eulogetos or whatever, uh, however you want to pronounce that, or it comes in different forms. The idea of that form of blessing is it's a description of who he is. 
in Ephesus, Paul begins in chapter 1, verse 3, and he said, Blessed be the God and Father. Okay? That, is a, that is a description of who he is. See, God is in his very person a, bless, a blessedness. Okay? He is blessed. It's the haze of his being type of thing. He is blessed. Paul says, blessed be, okay, he is blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. So the haze of who he is that he just lives in, the aroma, his body odor, <laughs> if you will, okay, that just nature of who he is, he can dump that on us. Okay? Now that's good news. We all want to be blessed, right? I like that kind of terminology. When everything of who he is, he can dump on me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, uh, who has blessed us in Christ in the heavenly realm. This blessing, this idea of being blessed. You trace that word back throughout the New Testament. You have some phenomenal people who were blessed with that kind of blessing. Jacob. That boy couldn't do anything wrong. I mean, wherever he walked, God, God moved on his behalf and blessed him and just blessed his life. And there was, some, there was such seriousness when, Abra, uh, when, when Isaac laid his hands. I mean, you know the turmoil. I often wondered why they all went through all that deal and over a laying on of hands. I mean, good night. I don't went after the Cadillac, you know. But, uh, you know, not Jacob. I mean, he was dead after that thing. He got the blessing and his life was marked with the blessing and the favor of God. You're going to find that word in the book of Revelation. It literally has the idea of the favor of God upon your life. It's powerful. When I read these first three verses about the prophecy and, and it's the unveiling of Jesus and seeing in Him the moving of God, which is to take place in my life, in every area of my life, I'm thinking, whoa, wow, the reward to God moving in my life like that is His favor. That's not the word there. Now, you're going to get that in Christ, but that's not the word there. That is interesting that the word here, blessed be the one who gets into this prophecy. You get into this prophecy, what we just described. You get into this thing. You're blessed. But the Greek word for blessed is the Greek word markurios, which doesn't mean God's favor. It literally means a bless, you're blessed due to activities. You're blessed because of activities. Now, in a non-religious sense, and this, it's used throughout the Old Testament and New Testament in a non-religious sense, uh, it, it's, it's translated happy or favor. Blessed. Jeremiah, you're, you ever heard this one before? Um, you know, I'm driving down the road and uh, we were on the highway, this was about a year ago, and a truck tire pops off the tire, off, off the truck, and rolls right across the median. And cars are swerving, and I just said, um, forget it. <laughs> I just drove, and it went right by me. We stopped to help out people, and this guy goes, man, you're blessed, you must be living right. Okay, that's the blessing. That's the idea. It's, it's, it's a blessedness because of activities. Okay? I missed the tire, man. Okay? I'm fortunate. I'm happy. Why? Yeah, circumstances. That's how that word's used. In the non-religious sense. In the religious sense, hold on to yourself here. In the religious sense, as it is in this passage, it's not a blessedness due to activities in terms of just the non-religious way, in terms of just luck. It's a blessedness due to activities because of the direct hand of God that's controlling and manipulating and causing those activities. In the religious sense, you are blessed because God has taken His fingers and went, hmm, in your life. That's that word. Let me give you a couple examples of it. I found a use of this word first time, searching it through the Old Testament, New Testament. I found it for the first time uh, back toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, you don't have to turn here. It's 33.29. Listen to this, it's great. Blessed are you, O Israel. Here's why. 
Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord. God reached in their life and grabbed a hold of them. Who are saved by the Lord. He is your shield and your helper and your, glor uh, and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will be trampled down uh, and you will trample down their high places. That's where that word appears. In other words, hey, uh, I am blessed because of the activities of God moving and working in my life. I am blessed. I'm fortunate because people look at the circumstances of God going with his hands in my life and says, wow, you're blessed. Kind of got excited. I was like, man, this thing's going to be great. I, I, I not only get the benefits of being the event by which Jesus moves in my world, but hey, man, I mean, he's manipulating my circumstances. I thought, well, just for, just for kicks, I'll look at the next place this word happens. Wasn't too delighted. Run into this man. Name was Job. Kind of interesting, Job is. God's having a committee meeting, board meeting, with his angels. Satan shows up. Says he was late. That's what happens. Those people come late. That's kind of set the precedence here. He shows up late, comes in the board meeting. They're talking about, you know, the earth and several things. Job comes up. God says, ah, oh, that's my boy. Satan's like, come on, spoiled, rotten brat. <laughs> Look what you've done in his life, man. You've meandered your hands in his life. Everything, I mean, just, there's not, I mean, you just set hedges around. No one can touch him. Your, your hand's so involved in his life. No wonder I'm. God says, no, 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 no. And you begin to see God and Satan, okay? Not and Satan. But God meddling in the affairs of Jesus' life, which allows the enemy to come in. And due to, now listen to this, due to the very events of God's hand in that boy's life, look at, I mean, just in the first, you have this, the first scary thing that happens. It's Job's first test, okay? It's a test. And the test is interesting. The first thing that happens, he has all kinds of oxen and donkeys. They're gone. Hey, sheep and servants, they're gone. Camels, can't live without camels, they're gone. Sons and daughters, they're gone. That's just the first test, okay? The first test. The second test, his body, man. You walk through this test and you find Job sitting in a heap of ashes with these sores scraping himself. And do you know what he's saying? Listen to this. Blessed is the man whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Wow, I'm blessed. No, thank you. <laughs> Got all the blessing I need. That's the blessing. Job says, I'm blessed, man. Why? Check it out. You can't tell. God's hand is moving and acting in my life. That's the blessing. And you begin to, as you begin to string throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, finding this, the hand of God moving in your life, you're going to find consistently over and over and over, there's always turmoil, there's shakeup, there's always uh, suffering. Huge, huge theme going throughout. I found it interesting. You begin to move into, uh, and we won't go through these, but the Beatitudes. I really found it interesting, the Beatitudes. It's always, you know, those blessed be, blessed is the person, blessed is, associated with being poor, you know, persecuted. That's the idea. See, do you know what you get when God's hand begins to move in? It's costly. Hey, uh, I want you to move in my life, Jesus. Are you sure? I mean, Really? Because we're not talking about your plans. See, the idea of the stuff I hear on TV, yes, he'll bless you. Tithe, you get an SUV. I missed that chapter. That's, that's not, see, it's, hey, bring your hand in my life to do whatever, to bring about whatever you need to bring about. 
You notice what it did to Jesus' life, right? My favorite, you had this, you know how girls are in their weddings. My wife, when we got married, I mean, it was just, I had no say-so in the whole thing. And, and that's what I was taught. I was warned, so it, I walked into it. <laughs> I didn't walk into it blindly. I went right into that thing. And, and just the flowers and, the, the, and just all that. It's the same in their culture. They, a week long. Whew, praise the Lord, it's an afternoon for us. But uh, it was a week to two weeks long in their culture. All that had been taking place and there was arrangements and man, Joseph and Mary were going to be together and here comes God's hand. Angel shows up. Mary's like, hey. He says, you're with child. Blessed are you. Man. <laughs> she just got done reading Job. No! <laughs> no, thank you. Okay. Hey, blessed are you, man. Walks into Elizabeth, man. Walks into that thing. Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, man. Songs about her. You're blessed. You're thinking, man, you talk about a disaster, man. I mean, that put a whole damper on the whole wedding. and the, that, Her dreams and her, 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 her plans and all that. That smashed, you understand? All of that. And we know the end of the story, but you understand that. No wonder she took off to go visit Elizabeth. She's going to be showing. Joseph's going to find out. See, all of her, that's in the trash. God's hand has reached down into the most special and intimate time of that girl's life. His hand manipulates in that. In a few short weeks, he marries her quietly, you know, throws her on a donkey, they jet down to... I mean, that whole situation. She was considered blessed. Blessing is the one. You can be blessed with that kind of blessing. Do you realize that? You can be blessed with that kind of a blessing. In fact, if you want to get into what He wants you to get into, which that's the only thing there is, you're going to experience that. You're going to get to experience that kind of... If you want to be used as the instrument of God, you want to have the hand of God unleashed in your life, get ready. Take your dreams. Hey, your dreams. Take your aspirations. Take your desires and say, hey, that's the idea. You come into the book of uh, Revelation. I'll give you an example of this. Move into our passage. You begin to look at, oh, I found this powerful, first opening deal. The first scene you run into. John's talking a little bit about how, how it's affecting him. You know, his ministry, how it's been going. The hand of God being unleashed in his life. Listen to what he says. First thing, verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus Christ. Guess what you get in Jesus? Suffering, kingdom, patient endurance. See, I, what, what happened to the mansion thing? What happened to the streets of gold? See, where, where's that? where do you read that in here? He said, hey, hi, John. Hey, you know where I've been? Isle of Patmos. Yeah, I got a lot of sores on me. Got boiled in oil before I came down here. Tortured a little bit. Banished to the Isle of Patmos. Yeah, place wall. God's been moving in my life. I'm your brother and companion. I'm suffering with you. Hey, I'm with you in this, man. I, John, your brother and companion, the suffering kingdom, patient earth that are ours in Jesus Christ. You move through these seven churches. Do you realize like four out of the seven churches are going through persecution? Four out of the seven. And, and, and I found it interesting that God doesn't come and say, don't worry, I'll, you know, I'll get you out of this. Look, look, for instance, this is incredible. Look at the church of Smyrna. Chapter 2. Begin at verse uh, 8. These are the words of Him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Hey, I know your afflictions and your poverty. 
And they're probably hoping to hear him say, oh, and you're going to alleviate that. And he says, no, it's great. <laughs> you're rich. <laughs> he didn't get, let me get, read, read it to you again. I know your affliction and your poverty. Dash. I mean, just, there's a pause. Hoping that they're going to get a little sympathy from him. I know your, I know your affliction and your poverty. And they're like, talk to us about it. It's great. <sighs> you're so lucky. That's, that's his perspective. You're rich. Hey, I know the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Hey, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer, and you're going to suffer. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you the truth. Hey, I'll let you, I'll let you in on a little bit of this. The devil's going to put some of you in prison to test you. <sighs> That's, isn't it wonderful? I thought, come on, man. That's got to be a... It's got to be a John thing. You realize this was the banner and flag of Paul? This was his motto. Uh, the idea of suffering connected with the gospel appears 24, the word suffering appears 20, 27 times in his writings. 24 of those 27 times, it's directly associated with the gospel. Copy to cover them down for you. I'll just read these. Roman 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. <laughs> heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If, okay, if, condition, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You're going to suffer. You're going to experience a loss of self. You're going to experience a loss of your, are you with me? Huge. Romans 8, 17. 2 Corinthians 1.5 For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. Wow. In other words, all that was suffering and being completed in Him, we get to share in that. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort flows. In other words, somehow His worldly, the world would say, twisted perspective is that in suffering is comfort. Because I'm identifying with Him. Philippians 1.29 for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ. You ever get a present on behalf of someone? Hey, someone sent you this. Oh, great. Here's your gift. On behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. Wow. Here's Jeanette one. Philippians 3.10 I want to know Christ. <laughs> so he said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. I want to know that man. I want to know the power of share. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, man. I want to, I want to, I want to share that in my body. Second, Second Thessalonians 1.5 And this is evident that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Kingdom God suffering together. Here's another one. 2 Timothy 1.8. Listen to what he says to Timothy. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in the sufferings for the gospel. Jump in, man. You're right from prison, you understand. How you doing, Paul? Never been better, man. Wow. The metal worker just came by to see me. Here's my favorite. Now I rejoice. This is, this is my favorite. Now I rejoice... Now I rejoice what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions 
for the sake of his body, which is the church. In other words, he says, hey, uh, he's still moving. He's still working. He's still acting. In fact, his death and resurrection, you understand, the giving and the cross just wasn't just a, a time in his life. It was, the, it was the attitude and the style by which he lived. He says, listen, yeah, him pouring out his life, it's still taking place. In fact, it wasn't, see, Christ didn't quite complete it here, so he's going to spend the rest of his eternity suffering through you and I. He fills up in my body what's lacking. He didn't quite get the job done. And so he's continuing his ministry through us. Okay? You take, that's his banner and his, the church thrived on that, folks. Seriously, is that, is that, that's so, is that seeker sensitive? I'm strong. Is, is that seeker sensitive? Seriously, is that seeker sensitive? Really? We seem to be going about this maybe perhaps in the wrong way. This was the message, man. And the church just whew, under this. He says, hey, God, God is continuing to move. The whole prophecy, the whole prophecy is, is centered as John relays it. Same thing you find in Paul. Anywhere you look in the New Testament and Old Testament, what you find is a God that's wanting to inhabit the body of men and continue His moving. But that's going to cost you because you're going to stand in the middle of a home where a son or a daughter or a wife or a husband or a cousin or a fellow co-worker is going to nail you to the cross. What are we supposed to do? Find a way out of it. Sorry. Stand there and bleed. Stand there and be the event, man. Because there's something about the church identifying with the world in their suffering. Jesus didn't heal the leper from over there. You're healed. He walked right up to him and embraced that dude, man. He went down to the tax collector's house. He can't, it's incarnational theology, if you like theological language. It's incarnational. He'd see, he became one of us. God came down and footed it from Judea to Galilee. He got corns like we got corns. He got back aches. When he was nailed to the cross, he didn't fake it, it hurt. He identified with us in our he can, he can man, he can relate to us. And the call is to go out in our world. Hey, anyone who wants to be my disciple must take up his cross daily. Do you realize the cross was a symbol of the death penalty? You guys, what you should do for your church is just put a big electric chair right out there on top of your sign. You have a bank. Come and be fried with us, Trinity Church of the Nazarene. Come and be baked. Come and endure. Hey, just oh. come and pour your life out. Anyone want to be blessed? There's a real danger about saying we want to be a church that reaches them because things are going to change. Some people don't want that. It's pretty comfortable the way things are, you know? No one takes your seat or your parking spot. You don't have to replace anything because everybody knows the rules. You're just not Christian. Well, you stick out like a sore thumb when you go down to your job and start yakking about Jesus. I understand. Not a Christian. He wants to continue His ministry in and through my life, but there's a cost to it. Once that, you're going to drop dead. You're going to suffer. Anyone who wants to be my disciple will experience persecution. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. But take heart. I love you tonight, Jesus. I struggled all day with this.
because I hate suffering. I hate being uncomfortable. I hate doing without. When my body longs, I want to fulfill it. When I've been wronged, I want to express it. I have dreams, Jesus. I have aspirations. I have hopes. I want you to do something in me tonight, Lord, so that I could cry out, not a sermon, but I could cry out from the very fibers of my being in an uncontrollable yell. I want to know Christ in the fellowship of His sufferings. I want my body to fill up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. I want to be the event by which He moves in my world. I don't care the cost. Lead me down the road. Lead me to the cross. Hey, let me stand in the middle of a home where I don't defend myself. Where I don't retaliate. Where I've been wronged. Where I never claim my rights. What's it going to cost me, Jesus, to have you move and act and work on the stage of my life? We cry a lot. We want to be blessed. But do we want to be blessed, Jesus? Do I want to be with the blessing that you received? Do I want to embrace the blessing that you were blessed with? Do I want to identify with you like Mary identified with you? Do I want to sit in a heap of ashes and say, I've never been better? I believe, Jesus, sometimes we're called by You in the most plain and simple and direct ways. And we reject that call because of uncomfortableness, financial pressure, plain, flat, self-centered, comfortable living, self-centered carnality. I'm not talking about the church tonight, Lord. In the name of Your Son, I'm talking about me. Because I can't manufacture that. I can't fake that. You're going to have to do something in me tonight that I cannot do. You're going to have to bring me to death because I can't kill myself. I can't discipline myself to die. That's something you have to do. You have to do something in us we cannot do to our, ourselves. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to give you the opportunity tonight to be nailed to the cross. To give you the opportunity tonight to allow Him to get into your life and have at, have at your life in whatever manner He chooses. I want to give you the opportunity tonight to, to respond and say, Jesus, hey, whatever you need to bring to pass in my life that will continue the movement of your kingdom and bring my life to fulfillment, I give you permission to do that. But I'm not going to lie to you. You need to be weary on that. You need, to, you, need to, you need to think about that. Because if you're not into losing your rights and losing control of your life, just stay seated. This is not for you tonight. Come back Sunday. We love you. I want you to be a part of this. But this is not for you. If He's pressuring you, if He's pushing you, wanting to take His hand and reach it through your life, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything that you have. There's suffering. And I can't help but to say... <laughs> I've never been more pleased in my life. Paul talks like he's on vacation, man. 
He talks like there's no other place he'd rather be than sitting in a dungeon cell. Anyone want to be blessed? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you'd like to respond.